Well, we're talking about going back to the office today. I know it's Friday night and maybe you don't want to talk about Monday morning. Maybe you're not going back to the office on Monday morning. Maybe you've already gone back to the office, but we did want to hear from you uh, just about what your experience has been. Has it been good, bad? Are you, if you're not there already, are you looking forward to it? Are you not? If you are there, has it been okay? Uh, let me know, 877-399-9898, uh, We're also about to welcome Alexandra Samuelon. She's the author of Remote Inc. So if you have any questions about uh, going back to work, maybe working hybrid, anything you want to know, let us know. And we'll try and answer those as we go through this next half hour. As I mentioned, again, we're talking about going back to work on Monday for some, I know some people personally are going back to work on Monday. That's why I keep bringing this up, uh, going back to the office rather. They've been working the whole time. They just haven't been going to the office. Uh, some, it's been more than two years since they've been gone. Some have spent a few days a week there in the interim, but really we have they haven't had a full office to go back to, uh, that sort of pre-March 2020 office to go back to since then. Well, perhaps you'd be excited. Perhaps it fills you with dread to go back. How do you face the challenges, seize the benefits of returning to the office? And what about all those who aren't going back? With more now on the office as it was, as it is, and as it should be, and whether you should even be there, I'm joined by Alexander Samuel, author of Remote Inc., How to Thrive at Work, Wherever You Are, and a regular contributor to the Wall Street Journal. And she's in Saskatchewan tonight uh, on, on a trip. Alexander, thanks so much for taking the time, even though you're, <laughs> you're off working. I am. This today was my first day of in-person work. Now that I think about it, I, I spoke wow. with an actual live audience of like human beings in a room for the first time in, you know, two and a half years. How did that go? It was, um, you know what, it was not as crazy as I thought it would be. Like I was worried that it would be so disconcerting after, you know, a year and a half of talking about remote work while remote, I thought it would be really um, awkward or uncomfortable to be around other humans. But I forgot, I actually like being around other humans. And, you know, there's an energy. I mean, this is exactly why we're going back to the office, right? There's an energy you get when you're all in the room together. There's the body language, there's the gestures, and it, it just changes what we're able to do together when we are in the same room. I hate to admit it. <laughs> I won't call you on that. But were you uh, were you were you anxious about it? Did you prep differently? Did you did you take a long time to pick what you were going to wear? I mean, I was just thinking we were talking oh, about yeah. this the other day. It's been a long time since we've had to wear stuff into an office into that environment. It totally. In fact, I checked on Facebook. I was like, okay, people who have been in a conference setting in the past six months, what do people wear now? Like, do we wear grown up clothes? <laughs> But um, you know what? It, it actually wasn't really any different. People, I mean, I'm at, a, at an insurance conference in, in Saskatoon and it didn't look like nobody was wearing sweats. Nobody was wearing a ball gown. Um, so it was kind of like any other event. I guess when, when we talk about that then, and how did the people react to you? Did you notice that, that people were uncomfortable? Is everyone sort of, is it, does it feel a bit like a high school dance or is it less uncomfortable? Not at all. Okay. No, I mean, part of what made this such an interesting group to return to is um, a lot of the folks in the room have been working in person, either full-time or part-time for many months now. So actually, I was kind of the new kid. Um, and it was really interesting to hear what people are still struggling with around um, remote work. And, you know, as I've heard from a lot of groups, as I, you know, because I talk to a lot of organizations now about how to transition to the return to work. And what people are really struggling with is, 
you know, how do you create a level playing field when we're in an economy where, you know, 60% of Canadians are in jobs that can't be done remotely because we're a resource intensive economy. So like in the US, it's only 50%, but, you know, you can't call into the mine via Zoom. You can't go to the logging camp on Teams. So a lot of people in Canada still show up for work. And how is it now that we're reopening offices, how do we acknowledge their experience and create workplaces that, provide some measure of inclusion for people who are on site as well as for people who've been remote this whole time. Yeah, I was going to, you know, that's an interesting point because one of the things that was talked about a lot, I remember um, in return to office environments was trying to maintain that balance between those who there, those who are there and those who are not. And now that we're moving into maybe a hybrid, more of a hybrid situation, that seems like it would be one of the complexities to try to manage the relationships, um, within the office to make sure that people who are remote aren't being left out as the office becomes more and more to some extent like it used to be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, really, when we talk about people feeling left out, what we're talking about are, are kind of two different but related issues. One is, how do you create a sense of common culture, purpose, a sense of belonging among your team, even when people are working under very different circumstances and even when some people are not in the office that much. And then the other question is, how do we treat people fairly? How do we create paths to advancement for people of color, for women, for younger employees, lower skilled employees who've been left out of this remote work story to some degree? And, you know, both of those challenges are really crucial for managers and in particular HR teams to have on their agendas in this next phase. Yeah, you bring up the idea that the very nature of work has changed somewhat, and we need to make sure that everyone is moving in the same direction to some extent, whether or not they work remotely or not. How do you, how do you do that? That is a very, because people who don't work remotely, um, it, it does create these kind of different cultures. Even say you have an organization where you have a head office where people work remotely, but you have actual people on the ground working every day. You start to have, I would suspect you'd start to have different cultures in that within that mm-hmm. organization. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think there are organizations that are going to need to rethink their culture and rethink, you know, what is it that really holds us together? Is it is it all about like the fact that we're the fun people who go out for beer after work? Or is there something deeper that isn't so reliant on us, you know, being in the same space that can maybe bind us together as a team? And, you know, I think, frankly, one of the things that, you know, the, the biggest challenge here is also um, our biggest asset, which is it's a very tight labor market. There's a very real cost to replacing people who walk either because they want more remote opportunities than they're being offered or because um, they're feeling left behind in an office that is allowing some people to work remote full time. And precisely because there is that cost of replacement, we can put a a dollar value on what it costs to retain people and to keep them engaged. And that allows us to do things like invest in maybe a flex day, one day a month, even for people whose jobs basically require them to be on site, just so that people don't feel left out of this kind of work-life rebalance revolution. The the other thing that had come up a lot um, was was this idea sort of, of, of within the office, how do you manage how do you make sure that people don't perceive that other people are being treated favorably either by being allowed to work at home more 
or not. Sort of that the whole, now that people are coming back, trying to maintain that balance you have within your office, that's always difficult of trying to make sure that it does feel like a level playing field. Well, I mean, I think we have to remember that um, the office never started as a level playing field. So trying to create a sense of fairness and inclusivity is hugely valuable. But, you know, don't romanticize the office of 2019. It was full of unfairness. It was full of bias. It was full of microaggressions. I mean, one of the things that's been hugely interesting about the pandemic is how many people of color have reported feeling like a burden has been lifted because they don't have to deal with some of the real unpleasantness, I mean, to say the least, and, and bias that they had to encounter in the office. Again, people with disabilities who lobbied for years to have more flexibility about their you know, place of work. Well, surprise, surprise, COVID comes along and suddenly all these accommodations that you've been denied for years are being extended to the whole workforce. So, you know, I, I don't think it, it pays to start from imagining some, you know, pristine world in which the workplace was equal. There are going to be some inequalities and some uh, levels of unfairness, some resentments in this new workplace. Our goal as managers, as employers, is to try and minimize that and to try and be transparent and, and to be open about how those decisions are made to hear how they're affecting people and to be willing to actually improve and change in response to what we're hearing. And I imagine to take what was really successful about the two years we were all working remotely and to apply it in a way that makes sense, to take the good of it and try to find <laughs> the good that exists in that communal office situation again. In other words, the best of both worlds, if that's feasible. Absolutely. And to be honest, we actually haven't, for the most part, seen the best of the remote world. I mean, I, I am fascinated how many people have really um, taken to remote work in a survey after survey that shows that people want to retain some degree of remote work. I mean, every survey shows that like 70, 80 percent of Canadians who are working remotely want to remain remote at least half the time, if not more. And what's fascinating to me about that is like, this is seriously the worst version of remote work you can imagine. Because like before the pandemic, when you worked remotely, you could go and hang out at a coffee shop. You could meet up with your friends. You could, you know, leave the house without being afraid you're going to die. And all of those things <laughs> made remote work way less stressful. So I like to say to people, boy, if there's, if you thought you liked remote work in the past two years, you just wait and see. Yeah, my eternal memory of remote work is sort of using at the very early days using like a garden table, sitting on a couch with Ugh. like cushions and what had to be the lead, the postopedic nightmare, right? uh, and then sort of try to suffer through that through a few days, and then cutting my own hair. That was the those are my memories yes. of early days yes. of remote work. Um, <laughs> we'll be back in just a second with Alexander Samuel, uh, author of Remote Inc. and a regular contributor to the Wall Street Journal. I was going to ask you just a bit about a bit more about what we're seeing in terms of trends going forward. Uh, and we were going to ask you a bit about, because we talked about it already, those who are anxious about going back. And I know this isn't always your realm, but now that you've went gone back today yourself, I'm interested again to know if you have any advice to people who are worried about going back to the office and all that entails. Uh, we'll be right back. And we're talking work with Alexandra Samuel, author of Remote Inc., How to Thrive at Work Wherever You Are, and a regular contributor to the Wall Street Journal. We've been talking about, uh, it was Alexandra's first day today, back in front of a live audience, so to speak. So we were talking a bit about that anxiety. 
I mentioned I was speaking to you. We asked around about things people would like to talk about. And one of them was anxiety about not just going back to work, but also going back to the office rather, but also being surrounded by people at at the office because other people have been working on their own for a bit in sort of relatively empty offices. I did that for quite a while. So you start to feel a little insecure when you start to start, when you start having to share the space again, because it's going to be different. It's going to be very loud, I fear. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that you mentioned the noise, because that is one of the things that um, a, and a lot of people talk about around the office, right, is the sound, um, the distraction of having, you know, other people around you during the day. And, you know, it's funny, I was just talking to somebody at TELUS the other day with a support call. And it was exactly that he was saying, you know, he's worked in the office, actually, all the way through COVID out of preference, but it's been delightful, because he can hear himself talk. But, you know, once the office reopens, there's going to be all of these other people in the office and the surrounding cubicles. And that's just just makes your job a lot harder. And, you know, my hope, honestly, is that this is actually going to inform the way we reopen our offices and think about our schedules. Right. If you bring people back to the office two days a week as opposed to five days a week, you can keep people a little more spaced out, which is not only, you know, potentially beneficial from a, a health point of view, but also just like a noise point of view, overwhelm, sensory load. Uh, you know, we're, we're used to being packed in a little bit in modern offices in a way that maybe isn't the best for our mental health. I was going to say for the for the anxiety aspect of this, what would you say to people who are feeling a little tense about going back to work? We just spoke to someone in the last half hour who had to go back to work after uh, putting on quite a bit of weight. She'd written an article about it, even mm-hmm. to to talk mm-hmm. about it. You went back today, having not been in front of a live audience for a bit. What do you think the key to to trying to settle your nerves is? Well, I mean, I think the the most important thing is to realize that literally everybody is nervous. Like, I'm, there are people who. Um, when they're back, realize, oh, yeah, like I missed this. I like this. It's not that scary. But I haven't talked to anyone who isn't nervous about at least the idea of returning to the office. And so, you know, the more that we can be open about that shared struggle, I mean, it has two benefits. First of all, it's always easier to handle your anxiety when you name it. I mean, there's nothing that's more anxiety producing than trying to pretend you're not anxious. But also in narrating our kind of shared experience of anxiety, we create an opportunity for real human connection, which is actually the whole reason we're coming back to the office. So, you know, the best thing that employers can do is actually facilitate those conversations so that they happen. You know, bring in consultants, psychologists, team coaches who are there to give a little bit of space for people to acknowledge what's challenging and also, frankly, to act as a little bit of a scaffold for people whose social skills may have gotten a little bit rusty. I mean, you know, my husband's a lovely guy, but he doesn't reflect every human being I need to interact with in the course of a normal work week. And so I know that I could use a little help remembering what it what it looks like to have a conversation with people who are not related to me. Right. <laughs> Just because we all had to leave the office in a big hurry doesn't mean we all have to go totally. back in a big hurry, I think was the... Uh, and the last thing that came up a lot was dress codes, because we were talking about, well, what do you wear to the office now? Because I figured, like, I, I, I have this sort of collection of neckties I don't think I'm ever going to wear again, mm-hmm. uh, now that I'm on the radio. <laughs> so oh, they've all been yes. kind of sitting there. Do you think dress codes have changed fundamentally and forever, where we're going we're gonna to sort of say, you know what, I was actually much more comfortable those two years than wearing something that is completely uncomfortable to wear yeah. and try to do my job at the same time. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's pretty clear. Um, I mean, there certainly are places that have not shifted very much in the dress code, but there are also an awful lot of places that have, and you know, for good reason. I mean, not only um, is it is it a little bit dated and frankly expensive to wear all those suits and fancy dresses, but there is like a sensory load. Uh, you know, I have to say, I, I only became aware of it because I have a kid who's autistic. And after I started buying him clothes that people recommended as sensory friendly, I started trying them myself. And it's incredible how much energy it frees up when you're not like scratching at the itchy tag on the back of your neck all day. So I think it's it's great for us to move towards more comfort. The reality is, you know, in a world where there's less and less face-to-face with clients um, or where your clients are wearing sweats too, you know, why not? Um, and, you know, again, I think this is a little bit about us as a society um, taking the opportunity of a, a kind of unique and unfortunate shakeup to think about which aspects of the old world we want to return to and which ones we're ready to retire and move beyond. <laughs> so you might want to return to this new world in a, in a pair of sweats, or at least, I mean, they make yeah. some pretty nice looking comfy clothes these totally. days, I have to say. It's not, uh, I, I, I know nothing about, uh, I, I will have to save this for another time, but I know nothing about sensory friendly clothing. It's a fascinating thing. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look it up. Mm-hmm. Well, and I will say like, I don't get me wrong. I miss my nice clothes and I was so excited to come on the road. And like, I had these clothes that I bought before COVID that I literally have never worn. Um, So, you know, again, you know, people enjoy wearing nice clothes and experience it as a a form of self-expression, but there's a big difference between, you know, wear something pretty or handsome or attractive if you feel like it and you know, where what's cozy and boring, if that's what you feel like, because at the end of the day, um, you know, we've gotten used to perceiving each other more in terms of our content and less in terms of our presentation. Alexandra Samuel, it's always a joy to speak with you. Have a great rest of your trip in Saskatoon. Congratulations on your first day back, uh, <laughs> back in front of a bunch of people. I'm glad it went so well. Thank you so much for having me, Ben.